The moments following what happened with Orangey Pritchett and the cart and the family of the dead, the transformation, the rains, the Thunderbird, they all flew by, clashed together like a storm over an angry sea, washing in and out in moments of clarity and obfuscation. At some point, you'd made your way back to town with the mules and with Janny and assistance from her horse. You had brought with you Orangey as best you could, though Orangey was not saved. Orangey was, in fact, dead. The people of the town were notified by Janie and her librarians that the issue had been resolved, and the town thanked your party greatly and apologized for the loss of Orangey. The family that was most recently injured threw together a quick and heartwarming dinner in commemoration for your loss before sending you on your way. Alone in the train car, near the unused sarsaparilla fountain, Orangey lay in her box, face open for a minute, either because you couldn't bear to close it, or just because it hadn't been done so let. Maybe she'll move. Her amulet glows and hums faintly for the first several hours of the ride back, and then eventually falls silent. So you arrive back in New York City, and you have a body. body needs to be embalmed, or buried, or cremated, or something, and you'll need to figure out what to do with it. Probably ripe by now. From Arizona to New York? It is decidedly not. It's not the weirdest thing you've ever done, Orangey. Ah, oh, Orangey. What do I do with you? Uh, if you have a direction to pursue, you can do that, or you can roll, uh, uh, what is it, investigate? So, Detective Tate Moss is a detective, uh, and I think that Detective Tate Moss hasn't processed the loss of uh, his friend yet. I think that rather than process it, Tate Moss has been thinking about this the whole ride. So the first thing he does is send out telegraphs to Kansas. Because I know that's where Orangey came from. Yeah. And I just sort of go about trying to figure out where to take Orangey's body. And the only reason I brought Orangey to New York is that I was hoping that Orangey would... I don't know. Orangey's Get weird. I think she... Something. Weird stuff happens around Orangey. Coming back to life wouldn't be outside the scope of uh, what they're capable of, if you're lucky. So, yeah, I'm going to send messages to Kansas and also to any other characters that maybe I've dealt with Orangey and them at the same time. Like, maybe she told them something she didn't tell me. Uh, yeah. And I'll I'll roll investigate a mystery, if that's cool. Sure, sure, sure. All right, so I, I roll them both and I take the higher, right? That's, I think so. That's, no. <laughs> No, you add them together. Oh, Ooh, good. I like this. Uh, investigate a mystery is sharp. That's what I'm good at. That's right. That's my good stat. That's going to be an 11. All it took was you uh, relentlessly getting one of your party members killed to finally use your character. Yeah, absolutely. Finally have a death that I witnessed so that I can investigate how it happened. <laughs> I'm a good detective. So what's your 11? Your 11 is uh, resounding success, right? There's resounding success, yeah. Uh, uh, higher than nine, I believe, is awesome. the rule. Total of 11. I get to hold two. And for anybody who hasn't done Monster of the Week, I get a series of questions that I can kind of ask from. Uh, we played a little fast looser here, but the basic ones are what happened here? What sort of creature is it? What can it do? What can hurt it? Where did it go? What was it going to do? And what is being concealed here? And if you didn't hear, too bad, because I'm not going to repeat those ever again. We've too much to do. So uh, what are your questions, bud? Where? Hmm. 
what was it going to do? And that's orangey. Uh, my, I call back to Kansas, and I want to know what Orangey was doing there. That's my first question. Okay. What's your What's your second question? My second question. Often these link together more easily than one at a time. So, what is being concealed here? I guess is the simplest one and the most interpretable by you. Okay. Because I, I yeah, I don't really know. Uh, kind of. Yeah, I mean, you're trying to find out about a dead person, so like most of those questions work. Yeah, the concealed bit is where the fuck were you? Where do I bury you? Where were you born? So, Detective Tate Moss makes a series of calls on the telegraph, looks at his old letters, reviews his old notes, speaks with previous employers that have reached out to both him and Orangey, because somebody, people knew how to get a hold of Orangey. And Tate Moss discovers that Orangey never had a home, but Orangey regularly checked in at the telegraph office in Wichita, Kansas. Mr. Moss continues to look around via telegraph and doesn't get very far. He reaches out to a police officer there, and the police officer provides a record of adoption for the Kane family to adopt one child, Orangey Pritchett, following the death of the child's only surviving legal guardian to the pox. If only we had some way to stop smallpox, some sort of jab, maybe. Yeah, but then it would give you autism. Um, yeah, yeah, that would be silly. It takes Detective Moss several days to gather this information, and Detective Moss is so tied up, so busy, so transfixed with his work that he forgets about the body in the box in his office, and only with the realization at what horror that should be does he come to realize this, but it is not. The body lays there still, unmoving, white as death, but not Yet another... Yet another strange trick of yours is most helpful. Thank you, Anji. Um, I arrange to have her and me shipped off to Kansas. Do you pursue embalming at all? Or do you why? remove anything from Orangey? Why Why the need? I'm just asking you. I, th- I, I think Moss thinks about it, and seeing as he's fuck, fucked around for at least a week, I think it takes several days by train to get, for, you know, this is, yeah. it's been a while. It's been a minute. It's been a f- um, it would be another... Week probably before we bury, but yeah, Moss has a series of contacts. Do I? I probably talk to an embalmer about like how long does it take for a body typically to rot, and if and uh, I'll save the money. And also, once again, I think Moss is, despite him being very skeptical of magic, particularly the last adventure and Orangey's currently current condition. I think he's still holding out some hope that like Orangey's gonna do something. Orangey's not dead. Orangey just never breathed, and I didn't notice it. I don't know. Orangey's <laughs> just in a real big nap, so, so he doesn't det- do it. He does. Det- he doesn't want to risk cutting her open and removing anything vital. When Detective Moss does end up contacting an embalmer, the embalmer comes to visit the body, which is not entirely unusual, and he expects this to be a fucking shit show. It's been a week and a half. That's that's bad. He has you pay twenty five dollars up front. Because this is going to be a fucking nightmare. Uh-huh. And when he arrives, at first he, he's kind of taken aback and he thinks that he asks you who you had performed the embalming because it's it's already done perfectly. And and what what he he starts off offended and then ultimately is just confused. And it's he's curious how to find this master to apprentice under that so perfectly embalmed this body with no outward physical damage. He inquires with you, and you explain that Orangey died from drowning, but there's none of the characteristic 
rot or damage to tissue, none of the black markings that you see from a drowning victim. But the body is perfectly preserved. And you've never seen anything like this before? He is not. All right, well. He gives you $24 back. He keeps a dollar for his time, but there's no work to be done there, and he departs. Thank you, sir. Well, like I said, uh, after that, we... I, Go I, to Wichita? I had, I, yeah, take us to Wichita, Kansas. On the long, dim ride in the empty freight car that you procured for yourself and your fallen comrade, everything goes uneventful, nothing occurs, save for one moment within an hour of Wichita, when the necklace falls from around their neck and clatters softly at the bottom of the casket. Uh, Moss just tries to pick it up and put it back on them, uh, as best, like, without jostling the body. When Moss puts the amulet around their neck, there's a flash of warmth, and Moss feels as though a breeze has blown through his body and carried him into a different place. He finds himself standing in a large, empty field with rolling hills, not barren, but filled with a nearly, seemingly endless ocean of golden, waving grain. The sun floats high in a blue sky, and then in a moment later, before Moss has time to process anything, he's back in the rattling train car with the necklace around Orangey's neck. You clasp the necklace, you step away, and you hear a decided thud as it hits the bottom of the casket once again. Strange. I pick it back up, but this time I tuck it into, like, Orgy's pocket, whatever they have to carry something. Yeah. I'll have to check that out later. You close the box back up, and no more than two minutes time later, the ritual repeats. Thud. Um, open the box back up. Take out the amulet. This repeats as long as Moss continues to try to put the amulet on Orangey. It is... Okay. Moss does not get any particular strange feelings from the amulet, but it is decidedly clear that the amulet no longer wishes to be with Orangey. All right, all right. I'm just trying to do the scientific method here. Um, I put it on? I write, I write a note to Marley... <laughs> Telling him what I've just about to try. And then I put it on. <laughs> and I just leave the note with Orgy. The large, am- the large heavy amulet wears very lightly around the neck, lighter than it should. And you feel a refreshing warmth. And it feels as though you're standing back in that field once again. But there is no other distinguishing effect. Okay. And we're going to stay on me then. I'm talking to a fucking amulet. An hour's time passes and you conclude your journey, arriving in Wichita. You have your leads from before. The Kane family, who had purportedly adopted Orangey in their youth when their parent had died of the pox. As you enter the town, you pass the small, inexpensive cemetery at the end, and you move inward. You do find the Kane family in the cemetery itself. Several of the members look like they have passed recently. Uh, of reasonable age, nothing particularly of note and you're able to find their estate in fairly short order. Wichita is not terribly large at this time, and the Kane family is well-known, not for any particular splendor or spectacular incident, but just as a family that's been around for a long time. You do find several of the younger members of the Kane family, cousins, brothers, sisters, and a few of them do remember the Orangey child, but Orangey was of no particular note to them. Orangey's parent, the mother, had died of the pox when Orangey was very little, Many of them don't remember when it happened because they were younger than Orangey themselves. Ages of 20s and early 30s. 
And how old was Orangey? They don't know, but people tw in their 20s and 30s were younger than them. Yes, Orangey never seems to change. Yes, and you find out that Orangey lived with the family for quite some time, the first six or seven years, but then something happened, and one of the now-grown children recognizes the amulet around your neck and points to that. Orangey had found that amulet, and then strange things began to happen. And the family, being older, some having even come from such mystical places as New Orleans, became concerned <laughs> with the evident magics that may be at play with Orangey. Over the hills into the mystical land of Louisiana. <laughs> yes. Shut up. Some of the family thought that it was some sort of curse. Some of the family thought that it was a mark of God. Some thought perhaps hoodoo or voodoo or some other nefarious magic. And Orangey became unwelcome. And inevitably, Orangey, at about the age of ten, had left. And that is the last that your traces pick up from the family. Nobody had any particular ill will with Orangey, but nobody stayed in touch. Is it all right if I bury her in your family plot? They don't have a family plot, but there is no. a spot nearby where you could bury Orangey. They don't have an assigned plot. That will do. I I'll, I'll have it arranged. If anybody wants to come to the funeral, it'll be at blah, 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 blah. Detective Tate Moss makes the arrangements for the funeral, and one of the cousins you had not spoken with arrives. One of the cousins you had spoken with arrives. Of course, Marley arrives, for you'd sent him the note. He arrived post-haste. It is a sad and sombering simple moment. The casket is raised, lowered into the ground, buried under the dirt, and the simple carved headstone placed over top of it. It leaves you feeling sad, as though some memorial must... Something is missing. Some commemoration to the mystery of this friend of yours' life. There must be a conclusion. There must be more. There must be people, acquaintances, contacts that Orangey must have had. And you feel fairly compelled to pursue that. back, everyone, to Torchlit Tavern. Once Hi. again, we are rounding about to our Halloween spooky season, and in the tradition of the Torchlit Tavern, we will be playing our spooky game, Monster of the Week. Yay. I have wrested control of the game away from Jay to give him a break and to beat him up as a player. So today, our recurring cast will be... Is it me? Can be. It's you. Ha. Stole your bit. Just like I'm stealing your shine. Hi, my name is Jameson Oxford. Normally, I am your dungeon master, but today it's a tragedy. I am a player. I am a player playing Monster of the Week, and I'm playing Detective Tate Moss. Once again, looking into the death of a friend, and uh, playing with me is me, Jeff, uh, returning as the friendly railway man, Marley O'Shaughnessy. I've seen some shit, I've killed some shit, and I'll see some more, but I do miss. Strangely, my weird friend, Orangey. Speaking of Orangey, um, hey gang, it's Ryan. I'm back. I'm not sure why I'm back, because Orangey died, so I don't know why I'm here, but I'm here. Welcome. 
and before we get into it, uh, Monster of the Week, we are in fact playing, yes, you've heard it, you, we said it like three times, we are playing Monster of the Week, brought to us by Michael Sands and Evil Hat Productions. Thanks, guys. Which is, of course, a system based on the, or a game based on the Powered by the Apocalypse system. Correctamundo. Uh, which is, you know, if you haven't played before, is a 2D6 system, so it's very different, very yeah. fun, narratively driven. Feel free to give it a shot if you haven't already. They make tons of games under the system, as well as this one, which is a killer game. Yeah, we keep coming back. We keep having a good time. It's our little break from Dungeons and Dragons. We love it. And this should be about the time that Jay and I shut the fuck up. So I will naturally unshut the fuck up, as I do. Okay. The casket is brought forward by a pallbearer in a cart. Nothing extravagant, nothing fancy. The four men that attend the funerary home lower the casket into the ground and begin to pile dirt above it. You stand there as Orangey is received into the womb of the earth one last time. Detective Moss, Marley O'Shaughnessy, one of the cousins that Moss had spoken with, and another unknown presumed relative, will all stand in somber silence. It is a cold, damp morning. Fog lingers heavy in the air, and the affair opens, proceeds, and concludes quietly. I... It's good you made it, Marley. Of course. I mean, as you know, not many others were gonna. Apparently. They left us one more mystery just before they left. Uh, I pull out the uh, the amulet that I made the mistake of touching. This fell off, Orangey, in the coffin when I was bringing her. And when I tried to put it back, it, uh, it wouldn't stay. What do you mean, it wouldn't stay? It kept falling off of them. And Marley leans in, but takes special care as he is the most superstitious not to touch it. I, yes, I, I don't think you want to. When I, when I touched it, I saw something that I can't explain. He takes one decent-sized step back when you say that. Yes. And he goes, go on. <laughs> I saw fields of, I saw golden fields of flowing grass and grains and wheats. Like something from a Nebraska farm. Well, that is quite strange. As you well know, I don't fancy myself an expert in any of this. But I have, since our several run-ins with, let's just call it, the out of the ordinary, become somewhat of a... somewhat of a crusader against these things. A problem solver, if you will. Yes, it's difficult to forget what we've been through, and I don't think that I can throw it away anymore. Uh, in fact, I have trouble believing Orangey's gone, as simple as that. Why would you believe that Orangey's gone? We watched them die. We watched them die right in front of us. It took me weeks to get them here, and they did not decompose. It's strange. Before we part that's, ways, that's there's much we hard. need to do. I... could you... do you... I saw something when I touched this. I know you're afraid of it. Would you touch it? I would not. Fine. I have to go talk to some... I have to talk to some people before I touch something like that. If you saw something, and it intentionally won't go back on her. Roll listen. for act under pressure. Oh, no. Which one of us? Which one of us? Uh, Marley. Okay. I don't want to force you to touch it, Marley. Well, I won't be touching him. 
<laughs> so no no concerns there. Uh, act under pressure, you said? Yeah. All right, that's going to be plus cool. All right, 12. Ooh, lucky bitch. You don't touch it. You, uh, so as you protest to touching the thing, you catch yourself and you look down and your hand has already reflexively extended to receive it from Moss. And, uh, you withdraw your hand, but it's, it's delayed. You feel that there's a compulsion for you to receive the object. Mm, I, I grab my hand as I pull it back and, and... It's strange, isn't it? Yeah. Turns out we'll definitely be doing some research there. I've made a couple other contacts over the time. Got a couple books that I had to buy. Let me see what I can find out about it. All right. In the meantime, I take out a little notebook and I, I sketch it as best as I can. We should, um... We should get moving. I, I'm hoping to do a party or some sort of remembrance for from for Orangey. And uh we do it back in New York, back home. Try to get hold of anyone who knew our, our friends. I don't know anyone who might qualify as that, so it's going to take some doing. But maybe they'll have more answers about her amulet as well. Well, if I remember correctly, you were the first one to bring us all together. Yes, it's my fault. You're uh You've got more information about where we all came from than I do, so I think finding some more people who've associated with her is possible. And if I remember correctly, that uh, Thomas, the uh, madman in the armor, believe he worked with him. Yes, I remember Thomas. So maybe uh, he'll know other people that worked with him. I'll get hold of you when it's time. Of course. I'll be uh, trying to figure out what's going on with your amulet there. As it seems, it's yours now. The next four years passed by incredibly quickly and unproductively through a great amount of research, a great amount of outreach to some significant expense at times. You were unable to locate a significant number of people that knew Orangey Pritchett. What you did find through looking in both of your respective fields of expertise is that Orangey was somewhat of a phenomenon, and had been known throughout New York. Apparently, Orangey had been there quite a number of times that you were unaware, and no one was terribly sure what exactly Orangey did. But Orangey was known as being the queer fellow who was very helpful and aided people. Various tasks, various times, and seldom even accepted pay for what was done. So there were a number of people that you found that were akin and held a likeness for Orangey, but they were strange and disperse, and there was no seemingly interconnection other than this strange person and my desire to estrangulate chickens. How bad is it? <laughs> uh, it wasn't bad until right then. <laughs> yeah, I didn't okay. notice it at all until right then. <laughs> yeah. All right. The morning of the day comes, the day passes into evening, the evening into dusk, and the fuck you is prepared. When Tate Moss had requested that the bar below his office be used for this purpose, the owner and proprietor had graciously accepted. Outside, as the sun lays to rest over the cityscape, the owner drapes a large black sheet of fabric over the F, the two fingers, and the U of the bar's sign, leaving it shrouded in its entirety. From the outside, only a dim light can be seen passing through the thin black cloths that have been used to decorate for this somber memorial occasion. Inside, a number of people that Moss and Marley had invited have gathered around, 
seated at the tables, which have been spread evenly, in a circular arrangement, all facing inward towards a podium that had been set up across the room from the bar. The podium itself had been shrouded in fine black velvet and tied up in silver ribbon. Atop it sits a single picture frame, holding the page from the librarian's illustrations Moss had inadvertently torn out so many years ago. An image of the four of them on their somewhat fictitious adventures. And draped around the base of that picture frame, Orangey's amulet. A vase sits quietly, lonely, and empty at the bottom of the podium, and people begin to sit, for it is time to begin. Okay, everyone, thank you again for coming. Uh, we, I, it looks like the last of us have arrived. Um, it took me a long time to get all of your information and everything I could find. So thank you for coming. It's been many years to, to honor our friend Orangey. As the crowd gathers and seats itself, the hushed words of the patrons die down. You see a great number of people, many who you've spoken to, many who you have not. Word had traveled quite voraciously, it seems, as did Orangey's influence, which even now, after all this time, seems somehow surprising just to find out how much reach this person had, how much influence this one strange individual had in the world. As you begin to speak again, the door to the fuck you opens with a long, drawn-out squeak. With a long, drawn... The door opens with a long... <laughs> I apologize I apologize to everyone. The noise of the neighbor's chicken farm is uh, something that we'll never be able to get rid of. Never quite. So if you hear a rooster, ignore it. We've done everything we can. We can't get them to move. The door opens with a soft but drawn squeak. A young girl and a woman enter. The woman wears the traditional blacks of mourning and weeps quietly into her kerchief. The girl, however, is dressed in remarkable contrast, wearing blues and greens with a woven flower crown and carrying a small bouquet. The woman quietly takes a seat to the rear of the party, but the girl skips forward, oblivious to the quizzical looks it earns her and unconcerned with how out of place she appears. She approaches the podium before Moss and places a beautiful bouquet of flowers into the vase that sat there empty before. Each flower, broad, fanning, white, star-shaped petals with a deep, rich, golden corona in the center. She says nothing, but merrily and quietly skips back to sit with the woman, presumably her mother. There's a murmur in the crowd. Everyone is somewhat confused. And then all eyes return to Moss to officiate this memorial of this person that they all knew and had feelings for. Just establish, is Moss confused by those people? Do I know them? No, you don't recognize them. Okay. There are more people that you did not recognize. Okay. There's a lot of people here that I don't recognize. There's a lot of people that you don't recognize, but nobody seems familiar with these people at all. I anyway, Anji was an interesting character, and thank you all for coming. Uh, it took me four years to come to terms with uh, that this needed to happen. And uh, it's a good four years that I spent getting hold of all of you. So once again, thank you for coming and we'll begin. I know a few of us want to say a few words. Janie, if you would start us off. Thank you for coming, everyone. Uh, my apologies if I sound a bit under the weather. I seem to have caught a bit of a chill. As someone who has followed the adventures of Detective Moss and company, and who witnessed the heroic event that saved our town, I thought it would only be proper to offer a eulogy for our fallen friend. We are gathered here today to honor the life of Orangey Pritchett, 
who gave their lives so that our town would be free of the drownings that plagued it. Though they were only here in our town for a short time, they quickly became a memorable part of it. I'm sure everyone here remembers the sarsaparilla incident in the bar. <laughs> the loss of a companion and a friend is especially hard. I don't rightly know what happened in the events leading up to the climax of that carriage race, but I do know that Orangey used their unique skills to save us all. And I believe their actions caused the Thunderbird to cleanse the land with healing rain. Whether y'all chose to choose to believe that is up to you. I extend an open invitation to Detective Moss and Company. If y'all ever find yourselves out this way again, stop on by and say hi. Our town is forever in your debt. Wherever Orangey is now in that great beyond, I'm sure they're enjoying all-you-can-drink glasses of sarsaparilla with plenty of ice. Thank you. Hello. You may not know me, but my name is Marley O'Shaughnessy, and I knew Orangey. Orangey was of strange folk, not usually much for fitting in or going on with the crowd, but when it came to doing what was right, there are few who could match their vigor. I, like many I have no doubt, was at times perplexed by Orangey and their ways. But it's in these ways I was able to learn more about myself and the greater world at large. It may have been business that brought us together, but it was our experiences that connected us. So, though there were still many mysteries they left us with, the content of their character wasn't one of them. Wherever it is, your mortal soul ends up. I, for one... Hope it's pleasant, Orangey. Orangey, Bridget, was the most authentic person I have ever met. There was none like them, nor will I expect there will be. A brave ally in my work and a fiercer friend I will never find. And I need not explain to all of you here that in this world, where we are all expected to behave and act in the small boxes of our various traditions, Orangey stood out as a wind of fresh air, someone whose very spirit braved frontiers that none of us would ever dream to brave. Orangey represented the concepts of freedom and bravery that made me dream of coming to America, and as long as there are more like them, this country will always have hope. Their loss feels strange and unnatural to me. As the final eulogy concludes, there is another round of applause, as it followed all of the others, and people begin to rise. The barkeep quietly whispers in Moss's ear that the tab is on the house tonight, and he opens the drinks to all who need them. Tab's on the house tonight. Moss just sort of nods, thankfully, and he's got, like, his suit is kind of threadbare, the stitching's starting to come undone, his hat has little tears on the brim, his boots are scuffed. It's been a long four years for Moss. Yeah, where he wasn't getting any work. Not enough. Uh, the lucrative jobs that were odd, my secret weapon is gone, and I haven't been taking them. The affair continues on quietly. I'm going to need you guys to roll me a check for a thing that lets you notice stuff when things are happening. Uh, that would be a read a bad situation. Okay. I get, yeah, sure. Roll plus sharp. It's, yeah, yeah. It's not really like a bad situation, but... Some might call this a check to determine the validity of your perception. So, I, I can do that for you, but that's a, 
That's a nine for me, because I had three. Uh, Ryan, what did you roll? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good, because you're still dead. I just wanted to make sure. Okay, okay we're, yeah. we're all on the same page. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. All cool. Glad page. we checked in on him. All right, so what uh, we, what'd I, we get, boys? Nine. All good. Uh, nine? I only had one, so I got a seven. That's, that's good enough. That's good enough, right? That's middling. Those are both middling, or is nine a success? I don't remember if nine's in the... Not nine is a middling success. It's a, as I said middling, before yeah. we started. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. I couldn't I, remember if eight or nine was a cutoff. If anyone's new to Monster of the Week, pretty much the way it goes, ten plus is great. A seven to nine is a mediocre, plus. means like there's okay. a win some, lose some to the roll, and anything six or below, you kind of screwed up, and bad things are probably going to happen. down, ass up. It's not always a bad thing. As Marley and Moss mingle with the variety of folks who have come to attend... Some of them friends of yours, some of them old friends, some of them new friends, some of them brief acquaintances you'd only met on the previous job. Good to see you. Thanks. Thanks for coming. You notice the young girl with the flowered coronet standing over by the door, waving for you, beckoning for you to follow. Glad you made it. I, 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 I nudge Marley and, and, and sort of point and say, do you know the little girl and the mother who came in? No, I'm uh, unfamiliar with them. As you scan the room... You do not see the older woman. She appears to have left. And the girl waves and speaks, Come, we don't have much time. And backs through the wall. And as she backs through the wall, you see the amulet around her neck. Uh, did you see that, Marley? Unfortunately, I did. Let's go. <laughs> okay, well, so much for a quiet memorial. Uh, before we leave, I, I address everybody and I go, it has been our pleasure to to be able to get you all here together to mourn our friend. And if you knew our friend like we do, you may have known that in their presence, weird happenings were likely. To that end, we must make our way. Please, enjoy. And he raises his mug, because obviously he's got a fucking mug. Mm-hmm. Of course. Everybody's he, got a mug. I mean, it's open tab. It could have been a double. He raises one of his two mugs. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, to Orangey. And he downs one mug and he puts that on the table and walks with you towards <laughs> while holding the other mug and sipping it casually. <laughs> yeah, I-, I take, like, a sip in honor of the toast and set mine down because I'm engaged. There's a mystery. I'm a detective. I'm a gumshoe. And then I pick up his The crowd mug. acknowledges the toast and bids you good evening. They continue to mill around and discuss, sharing the strange stories and ways in which Orangey had brought them all together through their acts of unsolicited kindness. You exit the bar and you see the girl flit quickly around the corner ahead of you as you follow. The child stays ahead of you, leading you onward until you arrive at a construction zone of some sort. A new commuter vehicle that they have been building. The first of its kind. There was speak of it, though it was supposed to be quiet. But in the streets of New York, nothing stays quiet. The child nimbly ducks the barricade and moves within. You can see the fresh tracks and rail laying loose about the construction site. It looks like good progress has been made, but it has not been completed yet. Roll me a uh, fucking follow person thing. No, I got a okay. I got a six. <laughs> okay. So as you enter the construction zone. You lose sight of the girl entirely. Mm, I get experience. And Moss. Nice. I level up. Yay! <laughs> Handle that and shut the fuck up. 
All right. I already got enough of this goddamn rooster outside. And this other goddamn yeah, rooster no, outside. I already, I already fixed it. We're near a chicken farm. We're near a chicken farm. There's nothing we can do about that. <laughs> Spectral chickens are just following you. Everywhere. In New York. In New York. That's the real reason Orangey got kicked out. And Moss, you, you begin to scout around, but Marley, you have a keen eye for things that are unusual, especially in the city. You're used to the place. And you see petals. Small petals at first. And then it becomes clear that there's a trail of sorts leading onward into the construction area, into the train. As you gather up moss, you descend down towards it, and it is a train unlike any that you have seen before. It is set on tracks, like all trains, but the tracks themselves are recessed into a pit, deep in the ground, with a tunnel before it and behind it, as though it is designed to run under the ground, which is very strange indeed. And you see the small girl standing, hiding, but poorly, in the doorway, in a way that a child does when they play. The attempt to not be seen, but without being concealed. If you have children, you know what I mean. As you approach, she ducks inside, and again you lose sight. You ever heard of something so stupid as a train underground, Marley? Why would they put a train underground? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, some sort of sub-train. I don't understand. How? It's enough work laying rail, much less digging a hole, than laying rail inside a hole. It'll never work in New York, I tell you. Let's go. I don't expect it to. I have heard whispers of it, though. Bullshit. Uh, how do you know which way it goes? Exactly. <laughs> Someone said sub earlier, had to get the way in there. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha, I gotcha. <laughs> also, this counts for what could go wrong, just so we're aware, which is my one of my moves. So, just putting it out there. Yeah, Charging yeah, yeah. into what's clearly a danger, what's easily could be considered dangerous. Yeah, I mean, you're in a construction zone. That's pretty hazardous. You got to be careful in this. Yeah, exactly. You know, ghost kids, too. But really, it's the construction zone that you got to. That's the. That's the. I didn't a, bring my heart It's hat. a New York construction zone off hours. You're in danger, motherfucker. It's the most dangerous place ever, if any media has told me anything. So how do you proceed? Do you follow the child into the train? Yes. Power and yeah, I, I turned to Marley and I was like, this, this is the things that freak you out, Marley. Marley looks at you and he grab and he pulls, reaches in his pocket and grabs out his uh, horseshoe knuckle dusters. And he goes, yes, well, they freak me out, but it doesn't stop me anymore. Let's go. And he charges in. Do we have our gear or do we just come from a memorial? Because I don't. So here's the thing. <laughs> Marley will always be carrying Those are easy. Gun. My shit is a shotgun. <laughs> I feel a little awkward being at the memorial with a shotgun. I don't think yeah, I'm armed. I, I did mean to ask that as well. I don't know where I currently am, but do I have any of my things on You're me? Dead. When we do? Shut up. Yeah, you don't matter. <laughs> For let's focus. Do I have a shotgun? No. Perfect. All right. Um, do you, do you I, want hey, to do something about that? Nope, Molly. I'm glad you you're are in a construction zone because I, you could. I. No, I don't. I don't think that the shotgun has ever really availed me of any of this occult shit. And despite the fact that I've been uh, the resident skeptic, I just don't think... It's never helped much in the past. Because you've never filled it with rock salt, you fucking fool. Yeah, well... Hey, goddamn plebeian. I might have nowadays, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is there anything nearby that I can arm myself with on our way in? Like a yes. timber? All right. Yeah. You are in a construction zone. There are things to arm yourself with. There are a number of improvised things, pieces of steel and rail and timber. There is also a pin-setting hammer. Uh, I'm glad you're armed, Marley. Uh, I, c 
came from a, well, a memorial. Learn to carry something with you. And he tosses you his iron knuckle dusters and he picks up one of the the hammers because that's basically something I already carry. It's the Marley special, baby. Mm-hmm. All right. Fair enough. And I go, don't worry. I still got me, uh, I got the old colt on me if we, uh, run into any danger. I, I give you, like, a, a classic pugilist stance and try to throw a few punches real quick. I'm a little rusty, but let's go. You descend into the pit where the train sits at rest. Various cranes and lifting devices above it. It's slippery. It's gravel. You slide. That's bullshit. Bullshit. Underground train bullshit. And as as you slide down towards it, you hear the soft echoing giggle of the young girl come emanating from within the train. You enter the train and inside, Goddamn on the floor. Subway chickens. <laughs> I was gonna say, does that soft emanating laughter sound like a fucking rooster? <laughs> yes, it does now. You enter the train, and sitting in the middle of the floor, towards the front of the cabin, is the soft glinting shine of the golden amulet the girl had. But there's no sign of the girl. So, I assume that, even though I tried, I learned nothing about this amulet. Uh, no. No, your, your research took you back to the family, because they're the only people who would have known. You know that Orangey's magic came from or channeled through this amulet. You know that when Orangey found this amulet is when things got freaky back home, but nobody knew the truth about where the thing had come from. Are you going to give the gumshoe an investigative mystery role, like, to cover what I've been finding out in the last four years? Would you like one? I do. I would like one. Then no. Oh. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Plus sharp, that's going to be a nine. Investigate a mystery, I get to ask one question. A nine gives you one? I thought you got two. Uh, no. I think I get two, because... Yeah, I think yeah, you get two. I get two. Uh, I get an extra question off of a different list, but... Uh, I think I asked you already once, uh, and it was just, the question is, what is being concealed here? Is this, Give me literally any piece of information the Keeper would like to give me, because I don't even know what to ask. I mean, you you don't know what to ask. There's an ambulance sitting on the floor. You're yeah. trying to get it back... Did did I ever figure out where she got it from? It just led back to the family for Marley. So what's what's the mystery so you're trying to investigate? The the I guess the amulet because that was okay, the last you're... question I was left with right, from her funeral. Right. Um, then what I what I can give you what I can give you is the amulet is what you were able to find is nothing about this amulet, but the amulet is designed in the ancient an ancient early early Greco religious style used to depict grain and wheat. That is the, the core of the amulet. And when you look at it thinking about that, you can sort of see it. You can understand the, the shapes of it. Was Orangey's family uh, Greek? Or no. adopted family? Okay. No, no. Orangey's family Were was... they grain farmers? No. Very out of place. Okay. Again, the great mystery, the great quandary of Orangey is nothing fits. Gotcha. All right. Well... So the so now the amulet's here. We're in the middle of a subway, early a what? subway. What? No, you're built. in a you're in an underground train. God. Yeah, an underground subway. train mine. That's a stupid name. Like a you're not you're not in a sandwich. Was this construction here? Like, am I aware of it as uh, someone who yeah, lives in no, New York? This is, okay, this has been here. Okay, like I said, it's a project that they've been keeping quiet, but it's New York, so like fucking. There's 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 gangs of people who are who are. Picketing outside, saying that if you dig holes, people's buildings are going to collapse. 
You know, like it. It's it's not. No, you can't just dig holes underneath New York without there being an uproar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Focus, gentlemen. <laughs> we there's I, all I kinds picked, of gangs involved. Last time I picked it up, Marley. It's your turn. <laughs> um, Marley extends. Shit, he got the, you on the one, two, three. Not it. Yeah, he fucking he beat me. <laughs> Marley extends the hammer and tries to scoop it up with the hammer, like under the chain. You sp- you watched Marley spend a good five minutes trying to scoop this thing. I held onto the thing for bo- four bloody years, Marley. Just pick it the fuck up. Marley reaches into his pocket, pulls out a, a now a black handkerchief because he's in his his yeah uh, his appropriate attire. attire. Yeah, yeah. Throws it over and scoops it up and wraps it in the handkerchief. Puts is it in his pocket. Is it monogrammed? Uh, Marley's How, handkerchief. How rolling is mon- It's not. Just, is it just like? Is it like stitched? It's not even name monogrammed. Like nothing at all. No, it is. It is the edges are stitched. It's a very nice handkerchief, but not yeah. monogrammed. Yeah, you, you notice. You notice that uh, when you pick it up, the the stitching closest to the amulet turns gold, and that flows all the way outward around the uh, the handkerchief. Uh, Marley drops it if it like moves towards his hand. Oh, it's just it's just the stitching, just okay. the the just the decorative stitching. Sure. And uh, you drop the amulet. And Moss, you hear the soft, quiet swish and click of the doors behind you ceiling. Perfect. There is a series of ratcheting clanks, a small, subtle jolt, Hmm. and the cart begins to roll forward. Uh, Marley then gets a strong grip with both hands on on this hammer and goes, Well, as a railroad man, I can tell you one thing. One, there can't possibly be that much track in front of us. I looked at the hole. It's true. There's not. Two. You got 100 yards, maybe. Two. That doesn't bode well for the fact that this is a moving train now. And if we're moving, we ain't stopping is, just because there ain't no is rail it a there. train or a mine cart? It's a train car. It's a train, it's a train car. car. Okay. A single train car. Not an engine car. Gotcha. A train car. And I would have noticed there was no engine car, Yeah, there's too. no engine. There's no engine... There's no sounds of automation or machination, just the quiet grind of the steel wheels on the steel tracks as it slowly rolls forward. Ghost train. On the upside, if we can get out, we're not moving that fast. Ma- Molly, I I know your thoughts, and I wouldn't blame you at all. Uh, and as I speak to Marley, I kind of dust my clothes, and I take a seat in one of the seats, and I say, but this is a day of remembrance for Orangey, and in honor of Orangey, I'm gotta see where it goes. Moss, you look up as you say that, and you've inadvertently seated yourself right in front of the mid-construction Sarsaparilla fountain. Sarsaparilla? Marley, still gripping tightly on this hammer, goes, I think I'll pass. The train begins to speed up, and speed up, and speed up. Still no sound of engine or machinations, and as Marley said, there is a heavy jolt as the car rolls off of the end of the rail. A good hundred yards from where you started. But it does Marley not stop. Marley attempts to open the door. It does not stop. And the door is locked. All right. And the car continues <laughs> forward roughly across the gravel and the unsteering ground and into the cave ahead, which is dark because it's a cave at night and then becomes darker. The train car picks up speed and momentum, downward momentum. You are moving down quickly, deep, deeper, and deeper. The rumbling reduces and you hear the sounds of running water. It's as though you're now riding along an underground river. And then ahead of you, the cave blooms open, being torn open, as it seems, by fire and brimstone. 
and the earth itself sunders into an opening as if you were falling, cascading into an entirely new world. Below you, a series of aisles, as though a grand estuary that Detective Moss you recognize. The endless, flowing waves of grain, abbreviated only by the clear and dark waters of multiple rivers, and you fall from this impossible height at a tremendous speed towards this strange land below. From the moment the wheels stop contacting ground, Marley, Marley himself is, a, is an Irishman. And yes, he believes very much in the old ways, but still a Catholic. And on the day of a funeral, is definitely wearing his rosary. And the moment that the wheels give way to something else, Marley grips his rosary and begins a prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be their name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. On earth give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. From the evil one. Amen. Orangey, you come to. Excuse me? Laying face up in muddy water at the edge of a golden grain field. You hear the soft crow of roosters across the field. <laughs> you almost made Jeff spit take. <laughs> in an out of place, but oddly serene addition to where you are. The sun beats boldly upon you, but it is the perfect warmth for comfort. There's a cool breeze that seems to be persistent, and even the waters you lay in are not cold but cool and refreshing. As you stand up, you are weighed down heavily by your clothing. You find that you have been wrapped in beautiful, full, flowing, long white Grecian robes. Your normal attire is not present. Uh, this does not abode well. As you begin to orient and acclimate to yourself, you notice that your robes glow faintly, even in the bright midday light of, well, there is no sun, but there's midday light as though there were. Goodness, where, where could I possibly be? Hello? Hello? Orange's voice rings clear and clarion across the golden, rainy fields. Orangey, as you wander around trying to orient yourself, you see in the far distance the silhouettes of presumably people also meandering around aimlessly in no particular sense of urgency. But you hear a soft, sorrowful weeping coming from the waters behind you. I see the people, and I would like to go toward them, but hearing the weeping, I am going to turn back and try to find the source. As you investigate, you realize that this weeping, this sorrow, is almost more of a feeling than a sound, and it seems to be not emanating from the water, but traveling along it, like something that has been poured at the head of a stream, traveling downstream to those who may drink from it later. And you see traces of this violet smoke swirling faintly in the water. And then you see Marley crying like a little girl because he's been sucked into <laughs> hell against his goddamn Not will. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. And as you look upstream, oh, you deserve this. cannot quite see around some of the rocky crags, but you are certain the source is ahead of you. 
don't know what all this is, but I hope this person's okay. Continue on. As you travel up the stream, away from the mainland, you find that the stream grows into a creek, grows into a river, grows into a broad and wide river, a hundred paces at the thinnest, flowing consistently but smoothly. The babble of the river itself sounds almost like the tears of a child or a woman or a man, changing at time to represent all three. And then you come to the mouth of a cave, and there you find the body of a woman laying rended on the shores of the river. Blood, dark and viscous, drips down her frame and swirls outward from her wounds, turning into a violet smoke in the water and carrying along it, churning with images of madness, pain, monsters, and nightmares. And the severed head, a yard away from its body, speaks out to you and says, Become whole as you once were, pure one. Return to your truth. Another several paces away, a hand raises from the murk, a golden rod in its grasp, and the voice speaks again. This key opens the one-way door, but only when complete. And with the conclusion, the shattered corpse turns its head back towards the mud, whispering to itself and weeping into the dark and muddy waters. The hand holds the rod outstretched, long and thin, flaring into a leafed socket and clearly missing a portion, as if presented to you and waiting for you to receive it. Uh, okay. Oh, thank, thank you. Are you okay? You, do you need any assistance? The remains of the female, the woman, presumably, do not respond. They lay there, quiet, quivering, as if still conjoined in their style, though the parts are scattered, dismembered, and separate, pulled apart in their entirety. As you listen, the tears are interrupted by a word, melano, and then return only to tears. And then the tears begin to morph into hysterics. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna take my leave then. And the hysterics begin to morph into a sickening laughter. The hand presents the rod to you in a pleading fashion as the head begins to roll the face. I take the rod and I'm going to start backing away. The eyes of the creature begin to fill with the violet purple madness that is in the waters. And the waters themselves, as if composed by this purple ichor, begin to raise into those monstrous forms that you saw swirling before. Oh, hey, uh, I'm going to be leaving. Bye. I would like to start head, heading back toward what I perceived to be people earlier and not okay. this horrifying scene. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as you begin to leave, your departure is expedited as the creatures take form and begin to lash at you from the water and emerge from the water itself to pursue you. I'm running. I'm running at this point. <laughs> <laughs> you get, you clear the next 30 paces faster than Orangey has ever cleared 30 paces in their life. And with good reason. Ripping the tight stitches on those tight, tight pants. <laughs> no, no, no. no I'm, in, I'm in robes. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. Is, you're dressed which for is running. Worse. Which is worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Orangey just hikes that shit up and runs. The creatures lash at you, but stop at 40 paces. Their bodies diminishing to vapor in the air, clearly incapable of moving any farther beyond their source, the water, and the Icarus blood. You hear the maniac laughter return to quiet sobs, and the creatures themselves decompose into a gentle and quiet splash upon the ground. 
Well, that was weird. Okay. Um, need to find out where I am. You proceed onward towards the figures that you've seen before. And again, everything returns to a beautiful, still peace. Calming in influence and perfectly comfortable in every way. Before being violently abrupted by a horrendous crashing sound. You look up to the sky and you see a rend open in the sky itself as if the sky were nothing more than paint on the inside of a massive earthen cavern. And coming crashing out of it, you see a single, long, smooth, delicate, and modern-looking train car come crashing from the sky and into the ground below. <laughs> from that, you still hear, Amen! <laughs> you just hear Marley crying. <laughs> oh, come now, Marley's not that bad. <laughs> this is quite a place. Is that, uh... How, how close is that falling to me? <laughs> uh, the tray, the car lands several hundred yards away. You are in no danger. Okay. But you see as it lands. I wish I could say that. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. You see as it lands, the car strikes the ground, folds. The glass explodes outward as the force transfers. And you see ejected one from the side and one from the front, two figures. <laughs> I will start now running toward the wreckage. I should probably not do that because historically going toward things in this place has been bad, <laughs> but I'm going to do so anyway. You know, uh, things aren't great for us either. So so how much harm is that? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess uh, roll roll dice. Just just roll two dice for me. Yeah, no. Moss and Marley. Each of you roll a dice. Hey, hey, this... it's called making a move. I made no moves. I refuse. <laughs> no, no, you just roll a dice. I'm just seeing who Orangey finds first. A dice or two dice? One. A dice. Just whoever gets highest is the person that Orangey finds first. Five. I'm just it's arbitrating. It's not going to be me. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Jay. Uh, Orangey, you find Moss. Why are we apologizing? Or rather, Moss's body first. Oh. Moss was the body that had been thrown from this train car out the side closest to you. His skull is cracked, blood drips down his face, and his eyes are dim. Is this a bad time to say that the the move that I took this time around is called the long goodbye? You can't die with an open case. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad you left your briefcase behind. Yeah. Uh, I got bad news, Jay. The case was closed. Oh. Was it, though? He left it open. <laughs> and you find Moss there, obviously dead. His skull cavity cracked open, his bones broken in a contortion of strange and unpleasant directions. How do you proceed, Orangey? <laughs> hold on, hold on. I have a line for this. Go for it. Oh, very good. <laughs> Piece of shit. <laughs> I got the joke. And then I was waiting, and that was the best. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I haven't had a chance to do it, and uh, it, you know what? Yeah, I, get, I get it now. Well I get it now. Yeah. Well I get it. I get yeah. it now. You're really yeah. filling my shoes, Jay. Yeah, it's, I, good. I, it's good. I, I get it now. I, I got to say, I never, I didn't understand the appeal, but uh, now that I'm here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, Moss, Moss, what happened? Are you? You're Moss, dead. they're talking to you. Are you just gonna ignore them? <sighs> you're dead, aren't you? I, I'm fine, Onji. Uh, my head hurts a little bit. What? It should. What? Why? Because it's open. Wait, am I talking to Orangey right now? Yeah. Oh shit. Okay. Um. And Moss, Moss sits up. Ah, how, oh. how's the how is the suit? The suit's already had a bit of a hard few years. This, I don't. We're dreaming. 
This is a dream. Uh, am I dreaming, Orange? You've been dead. What? And Moss, the first person being able to look at Orangey, you see that Orangey's body looks worse than the last time you saw. Orangey's body looks the same way that it did when they first died, as though they had been drowned, waterlogged. The skin, or the color and pigment had fled their skin entirely, which even for Orangey is notable. I finally get a good look at Orangey, and I go, Ah, maybe things have not changed. Uh, how, how do you mean? Mm. Where? Do you know where we, we are? We, uh, hold on, where's Marley? Marley's here too? Yes. Marley, you wake up 60 feet in front of the train. Or what was the train? Marley? And you, you hear Orangey's voice calling out to you, and you hear Moss talking, and you can see them. Marley. They're about 100 feet from where you are. Oh, Saints Preservers. Molly! Molly, okay? Oh, I truly am dead. Oh. May- Just let this be some version of heaven. Maybe. I- I- I'm finding that unlikely, Molly. And Molly, as you stand up, you see these same beautiful golden waves of grain and fresh clear waters. You hear the chirp of birds, the crow of cockerels, and that same beautiful cooling breeze in contrast to the perfectly warm sun. I look at the train car. It's in bad shape. It's like somebody took a sausage back from a dog after they had it for 30 seconds. Damn. And then I look over at Moss. Moss is a mess. Could not possibly be alive. I look over at Moss, and I look at the train car, and then I go, Listen, if you think we're still alive, one, you need a goddamn mirror. Two, look at that train car, and then you take a good, hard, long, hard look at me. I... Because if I (laughs) look anything like you, I look like shit eaten twice by yesterday's dog. I take a good hard look at Marley. Uh, Keeper, what do I see? You see that the broken stave of the pinning hammer appears to have lodged itself somewhere between his ribs in the approximation of his heart and lungs. You look good, Marley. You do. Um, hold still. Um, Moss, how do you stand up? You got like four broken limbs. Fuck. Um, I don't, I don't know, Mitch. How do I stand up? Well, uh, is there a medicine? Does anybody know medicine? I mean, you just, you just, you just put those things back. No, no I'm looking at back. these skill sheets, and they don't have anything for skills at all. You just put those back. They're broken bones. You just, you just set them. I didn't buy healing potions for this game. Come uh, on, Mar- Mar- Marley's seen a rough fight. He's a railman. He's seen things fall on people. He knows it. You just, you just put them back. Sure, yeah. Marley yeah, just puts them. Maybe back you're together. not doctors, but you just put the, you just put them back. It's it's not a big deal. You just sort of pop that back in place, right? Uh, I will attempt to do so. I suppose. <laughs> I mean, you also got a magic person. I, I mean, see it's, the, it's whatever. I mean, you I don't fucking heal people with my magic, but I don't know if you've noticed. Are you sure? Pretty sure. <laughs> people don't have conversations with a stave of lumber through their lung cavity either. So you know, I, you know? I'm having some trouble. Uh, is there something wrong? with... Orangey, I can't seem to move my neck. Oh, yeah, Moss. You're dead. Ma- Ma- Molly? Also broke. I'm starting to think we're all dead. Oh, that's exactly what I said, isn't it? Now, well, let me return to this statement. How did you both get here? Well, apparently a railway to hell. Or heaven. Or whatever this is. How did it's you even find such a thing? Four years of nowhere, investigation followed by a ghost visit. Four years? Yes. It's been four years. You heard him right. What do you mean it's been four years? The last... I remember helping Janie. It's been four years. Was it Janie? I remember helping Janie, and there was a lot of rain, 
Yeah. Um, and then I was here. You didn't make it out of that one. Oh, four years ago? Yeah, Orangey. I just... Uh, I just found myself here maybe 20 minutes ago. Well, hasn't been 20 minutes for us. I hate to cut into this heartfelt and probably confusing hello, but uh, I still can't seem to move. Okay, well, I'm going to attempt to pick you up, all right? Let me know if uh, it hurts. I... Does it hurt? No. <laughs> um, no, there's no discomfort. I, uh, I'm if going it wasn't to... for the fact that I cannot move, I would assume nothing was wrong. I'm going to pick up Moss and just kind of have him draped over my shoulders, I guess. Uh, when Orangey slings Moss over their shoulders, uh, Moss, one picks of your up Moss. arms. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. One of... <laughs> look, there's... Legitimately, there's only so careful you can be moving a body. Like, it's rough. One of your arms, with a sickening crack and pop, fits back into position, and you can move your hand again. Oh, good. That's somewhat helpful. Can we do that with your legs, too? I hope. We'll start moving around one of them legs. <laughs> See if I can get it back in. He's got noodle leg for a minute, and uh, it seems like the pieces won't go back in initially. And uh, Marley, Marley, Marley knows how these things work. And he gives Moss a tug, and with another grotesque crunch and a snap, things go back into place, and Moss can move that leg as well. It becomes Hell clear yeah. that this is a functional process, and you resume this on the rest of Moss's broken, disfigured limbs. And at no point does any of this hurt. No. No, you feel fine. Well. You feel absolutely fine. This is a very odd place. In fact, Marley is completely unaware of the timber in his chest cavity until he bumps into it by mistake, attempting to aid. Oh. Yeah, that's been there. You just let me stand here with a bloody piece of fucking timber sitting out sticking out of my I'm kind of face. worried about pulling it out. I don't know that Listen, I'm dead at this point, like I it won't I want hurt. more things to come out with it. It's not going to hurt him. I can vouch for that. Okay. Well, I'm gonna go up and pull it out. That means we'll my hammer's out. broken. And that's unfortunate. And this is uh this ends up being kinda of like putting a corset on. You gotta like get a foot in his on his sternum and just pull. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. I do so. puts two hands on it as well and goes, all right. You both clatter to the ground with a bit of a splash in, in the mud that, that is around. And uh, Marley stands up, but he, does, he doesn't bleed. At the right oh. angle, you can see the puncture go straight through him. Oh. There's no pain. Oh, look There's at no that. suffering. There's no bleeding. Marley, I can... You're not transparent, but I can see right through you. Yes, well, a gaping chest wound will do that to you. Now that we're dead, <laughs> let's find out if this is heaven or hell, huh? Fuck it. Yeah, uh... You know what's I've... unfortunate? Well, these were my nice clothes. Sure, nice funeral clothes, but nice clothes all the same. Hey, at least you're dressed for the occasion. Didn't even know they had black overalls. <laughs> Sir. <laughs> Sir. <laughs> you're a railway man, okay? <laughs> I'll have you know, I'm in a, uh... And they're black. Uh, I'll have you know I'm in a black pea coat and a black collarless button-up shirt. I can move again. Over his black Am I good? Yeah, no, you're good. You are You are all freely autonomous. <laughs> I hug Orangey. Orangey. Yes, Moss, hello. It, yes, it's, I, it's good to see you. I'm sorry. I, I hug them tight, and then I push them away, and I, like, hold them out at, you know, like, to get a good look. It's really you. Yeah, um, I'm sorry that I've been away 
for four years. But uh, I've like I said, I've only been here for about 20. Just woke up in the well in the field here. And uh, I did. I was given this by a horrifying creature. And I show them the key. Uh, while they're doing this, Marley opens his coat and tries to see if where he was pierced is where his um, where his flask would be. <laughs> no, the flask might have saved you, actually. The flask is in good condition. Fantastic. So I pull the flask out and I drink. I, I take the key. It from... tastes, the, the, when you open the flask and it touches your lips, it tastes like sweet honeyed water or wine. That is definitely not the shit you had in that. Well, that's not my whiskey. Oh, I take You hear a creak and a rock behind you, and you turn to see that a man has slid a small wooden dinghy upon the shore. I pull my gun on him. He stands tall and gaunt, dressed in worn black robes, skin gray and taut as death, with a large knurled stave, and he proceeds towards you. Who are you? Two of three must come with me. What? Yet one of you shall still be free. And he holds his hand forward, his empty hand, and beckons for you to join him. Oh. As he walks forward. What, is, what does that it's mean? It's the bloody boatman. I would like to read a bad situation. You don't mind. Yeah? Yeah, go ahead and do that. Yeah. The what? What was that, Marley? It's a bloody boatman. Is that bad? Well, he's here to take us across the river sticks. That's a 13. What the hell are you talking about, Marley? Uh, I got what's my best way in, what's my best way out, are there any dangers we haven't noticed, what's the biggest threat, what's most vulnerable to me, and what's the best way to protect the victims? What's the biggest threat? We're the victims. Yes. Uh, Marley says the fucking boatman, and that is the biggest threat. Do I- f For now. Can, can I extrapolate, do I feel threatened by that boatman? Or is the, or is he like- For the first time since you've arrived here, you feel like bad vibes. Gotcha. It's been it's been high and light, good vibes only, and now you feel cold and dark. Your wounds ache, and you feel the fear that the child has of a dark, unfounded and of no particular source, but dreadful and incomprehensible, unable to be described. That sort of primal, unknowable fear. Sure. And you feel that begin to creep into the back of your mind. I got two more holds, and I'm going to put them yeah. together. What's the best way to protect the victims, and what's the best way out? Well, he's not moving too quick. Okay. And uh, probably to run away from him. Just It's just a field of grain around us, right? That's Towards the inland. As you turn to look for that, in fact, the topography has changed, and you can see that a good quarter mile at least away, the sky darkens to a gloom over a sort of meager meadow. I don't know what's going on, gentlemen, but I don't think we have time to figure it out. Uh, let's run. You oh. must be weighed and uh, cannot <laughs> stay. We'll talk to and you soon. Thank you very gestures much. gestures and begins to pick up his pace. Don't uh, worry, I'll check it out. And I move toward him. As you Molly, move toward no. him, you see that everywhere he steps, the grain wilts to black and rot. Molly, wait. It does not regrow. This motherfucker's dead and he's going for experience points. Um, before... <laughs> Before he starts getting too far away, I would like to open the site. Sure. And uh, see what I can see here. What that do? Uh, the site, you can see the invisible, especially spirits and magical influences you may communicate with, maybe even make deals with the spirits you see, and they give you more opportunities to spot clues when you investigate a mystery. Okay. As a 10. That is All 8 right. plus 2. Weird. Sure. The first thing that happens when you activate your sight 
as your entire view changes. It is still the golden fields of grain. It is still the perfect, beautiful summer sky. But you are consumed by an ethereal swarm of other spirits that were completely unseen to you before. As though in the middle of a packed New York parade. Incorporeal to you, you see structures, houses, homes, carts, animals, everything moving around completely detached from themselves. And the man before you stands glowing in a green ember-like light. Tendrils emanating from him from the ground around that end in clutching, grasping skeletal hands reaching out for the three of you. Yeah, so continuing with what's the best way to get the victims out is run. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, Ryan Ma- gets his questions. Oh, does he get one more question? Uh, that That's just the immediate what fuck, is seen. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I could use investigative I'm not. I'm not going to attempt that, but I'm going to use uh, telepathy to try and talk to it. Or him, if that's cool. You just talk to it. It's just right there. What do you want? What do you want from us? They must be weighed. They cannot stay. They? These two? The time has come. What's done is done. Can I go with them? No. Why? I I don't know what it wants, but I think we need time, and I don't think we're going to get it if we follow him. So come. Marley, don't. As Moss grabs at the back of Marley, Orangey, you see one of these spirits stray too close to this figure and one of the clutching green skeletal hands grabs it and though it's silent you see it take a look of horror and chill as it is dragged down to the ground and dragged under the man seemingly absorbed by the very earth below it we need to go now case in point uh did i watch this or i I thought that was stuff only seen in her or their view that that was something that orangey saw but you you don't feel good about going to see this guy you start pulling me back and i go "Hmm." never thought i'd feel that there was something worse than death when i was walking i don't know if it's worth testing that we can die again let's go we could die again oh fucking sakes alive all right in your delay the man has approached you and he reaches out to grasp at you absolutely not delaying i'm dragging them backwards Don't make me roll kick some ass if I have to. It is not kind. (laughs) You could also roll to protect someone. Sure, that would make more sense, but I'll I'll knock you down too. Drag you. Do that one. Do that one. Do do the roll to protect someone. Sure. Because Marley's just, in my my sight of this, Marley's not like fighting you. He's just trying to calculate, and this is some weird shit. Uh, Roll to protect someone is plus. Like shell shock, I guess, would be the the closest facsimile to what Marley's going through. That's tough. That's Definitely. only a seven, but that's a middle success. So you pull Marley away almost quickly enough, and the man grasps grasps at Marley's shoulder, but he misses. His long hooked fingers sink into the wound in Marley's chest, and Marley, you feel your body fill with a searing fire, and his fingertips rake through your flesh as a I hot st- knife would through lard. I still have my gun out, so if I'm going to take damage anyway if i'm already getting hurt yep i shoot him and loading in that gun hang on roll your act under pressure let's see what bullet you had let's see if you had the right one. Oh, jeez. is plus cool so that's a nine all right and i have a thing for that because i did just move into danger so that act under pressure i had two forward on that so it wasn't nine it was 11 great and then uh the kick some ass is an eight. Uh, nope, it's another nine. 
So as, as Moss pulls you back and he rakes through your flush, Marley pulls out his gun and takes a shot. The gun detonates with a cacophonously and violently loud sound. Not louder than a normal firearm, but in that moment you become aware of how quiet and serene this place was. You see pheasant and the like take off from the grasses around you, and a large wound opens a cavitation in the chest of the robed man, pierces through part of his beard, and blooms his torso outward behind him, his flesh and blood a splatter into the air, then dissipating into that smoldering green and black smoke that Orangey has been seeing. The man simply takes stu stumbles backwards, recoiling from the hit, and says, so be it. Damn it, Molly, I said run! He raises his staff into the air and begins to twirl it from the end, and it starts to whistle and howl, somewhere between the sound of a bull roarer and a Mayan death whistle. You hear in the background a howl, eerie and echoing, joined by another, deeper, joined by a third. Saints for fucking service! We need to go right now. Then all falls quiet before you hear the thundering steps of something dreadful. I'm dragging him. I'm dragging him. I'm fucking moving. <laughs> yeah. I've been moving since no. we started. So the the good news is the old guy just stands there and watches you. He doesn't follow you. Uh, that's a 10 for an act under pressure. I'm gone. God damn it, Marley. So yeah, you're, you're booking. You're booking away from the dude, which is towards the meager meadow. That sort of dim, dark, not particularly hostile, but just not unwelcoming, but not welcoming. I'm trying to... Ideally, I would like to guide them toward the other people in robes that I thought I saw. They don't seem to be... They're around, but to be near them is to be near either the old man or that ever-growing, cacophonous, thunderous footfall. Okay. So just, just the opposite direction, then. I'm yeah. going to also... Basically, you're, you're going the opposite of bad. Yeah, as, the we're, of bad, as we're going, I'm going to way. close the site as well, because I feel like maybe you probably don't want to see things like that this entire time. As you close the site, the last thing you see is three sets of burning ember eyes begin to rise up from the waters behind the old man. But yeah, I'm sure you're fine. Hey, Tavern Goers. Thanks again for listening to Torchlit Tavern. Today's tale featured Mitchell Travis as Etheru, Jeffrey Lisk as Rayask, Ryan Santos as Number 9, and Jameson Oxford as the Dungeon Master. You can follow us and interact with us on Twitter at Torchlit Tavern, or email us with any of your most pressing questions at torchlittavern at gmail.com. You can also find our entertainers on the streets of twitch.tv slash torchlittavern, yelling obscenities at passersby. If you enjoyed our tale, you can tip your storytellers as you leave the tavern which you can do via patreon.com backslash torchlittavern. Every little bit helps, and those who tip well and often can find themselves privy to an extra story or two, jokes, or maybe even a bit of hidden lore. Our story continues to grow all the time, and though we have no designs on a vast empire, 
Your help is always appreciated. Our theme music for this campaign was designed by the bard, Brett Eagleston. Get his music at bretteagleston.bandcamp.com or find links for all his projects by following Bread Eagles on Twitter. This episode was edited and produced by Jameson Oxford and Ryan Santos. Other music and sound effects are provided by Epidemic Sound with help from freesound.org. And if you should find yourself surrounded by eager ears and attentive listeners, remember to tell good stories. It's cool. I know how this works. If we die, we're just going to wake up. We're just going to wake up in a pool of blood. We're going to come out cussing and then we just get to do it again. So it's fine. It'll be all right.